Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. We take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teachings and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer here is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. And you guessed it, today we're going to talk a little bit about revival. Since I've been hearing about the... Uh, a friend of mine sent me a text message and told me about a revival in Asbury College down there in Kentucky. When I think of that, I think it was started by Francis Asbury. And I believe they are Wesleyan Holiness. Um, but none of that is really here nor there. Uh, this is not the first time that this school has had a revival. They've had it on a couple of other occasions, at least two or three other occasions, I believe. In fact, <clears throat> when I was uh, doing my internship at Teen Challenge, one of the staff that was there was a graduate of that school, and he was telling me about the revival they had there not too long ago before, while he was there, I believe. Um, and he was a very spiritual guy, so I knew... So it's a very good school in terms of being orthodox in this, in this Christianity. Um, you know, you got the two sides, the Calvinist, Armenian, they're on the Armenian side. But again, uh, still well within the pale of orthodox Christian belief. Having said that, uh, so I'm not surprised that they had, quote unquote, another revival going on at the, at the school. So I'm going to mention a couple of things about that. But what is revival? What is exactly what is that? Because it's a term that doesn't appear too much in the Bible. It, the word revive does. And you remember before, I think on a former podcast, I talked about reformation and revival. And even though the word's not in scripture, um, it does codify a renewing or refreshing uh, in our Christian lives sometimes. I, for whatever reason, people fall into carnality. The church doesn't seem to be growing, and and from time to time, it seems like 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 the uh, like the vaccine. We need a booster shot, so that's the way I look at the at revival as a booster shot. And yes, like I said, it's not in the scripture that we need a booster shot. Perhaps some of you will argue that we we shouldn't need one. I get it, um, but I've seen some people that just. Uh, it's not for everybody. Some people that just need a little bit of help for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, so I'm not going to negate it and say that there can never be any revival as in, um, you know, spirituality gets to a real low ebb. A person's in a very dry area. Their, their, their hearts get a little cold. Um, and sometimes God needs some things to renew and rejuvenate people. People get tired for whatever reason. And sometimes it happens in mass. The fatigue comes in mass. It's rare, but it happens. A lot of people get tired in the church at the same time. And I believe that God will reinvigorate that sometimes, from time to time. But that's just me talking. You can take a different position. It's okay. 
It's not a heaven or hell issue. It's not a hill to die on. So I just want to make that clear. Having said that, um, so I characterize as reformation is a return to truth. Basically getting back to the Bible. I don't see how you can have a revival or renewing in your faith and your commitment to the Lord. I don't see how you can do that without the word of God. The Bible. They go hand in hand. That's not one without the other. They go together. And then after that reformation comes, that return to biblical truth, then you end up with revival, a return to life. So reformation is the cup and revival is the stuff that's poured into the cup. And so the two go together. You got to have the cup and the beverage. Otherwise it doesn't work. Walking around with an empty cup isn't, isn't quenching anybody's thirst or, or doing anything for you. But at the same time, if you have water and no container to put it in, it's a little hard to drink, isn't it? So the two go hand in hand. That's about, as far as I'll push that analogy, I think I don't want to push, I have to push it any further. But this is what has to happen in the Christian life. But I've discovered some things, and believe me, I've sat under revival preachers. I've heard all about revival, studied it, read about it. Uh, there was one book that was written years ago by uh, Winky Prattney called Revival. I still recommend it. But I, I read it a little bit different now because I've matured. But still, I think it's a good, it's a good read in, 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 uh, in church history. And so um, I, I think that's very essential. So having said that, um, I've kind of slowed down on some of, my, some of my thoughts on revival and what's happening there at, at uh, Asbury College. I'm going to mention some things there as well. Some thoughts that I have on that. Um, the best one, I did hear some commentary. Uh, Dawn Hill, the Love Subscribe. If you go to her podcast, just just type in Dawn Hill, Love, Love Subscribe, and it'll come up. The last podcast that she did was on the revivals, which I thought was excellent. She did an excellent job with it. And then uh, when this other lady's name comes back to my mind, then I will, I will let you know. In fact, let me look that up right now. And I think she gave the best insight on um, that you're probably going to get anywhere, including my own, on on revival. I'm going to say a couple of things that I think that she didn't say, but you know, no one person can cover everything and remember everything. So um, it's okay if if she didn't cover it exactly the same way. And uh, Alyssa Childers, Alyssa Childers, Alyssa, A-L-I-S-A, and her last name, C-H-I-D-E-R-S. And she did one on, you want to scroll down on her page and find the one on Discerning Revival. And she actually went to Asbury to see what was going on there. So she had a first-hand look at it to determine whether it's revival or not. Okay. Um, first, let me tell you what revival is not. When I was a kid growing up and they had the old tent meetings, they don't, I don't know of anyone doing tent meetings anymore. But when they had the old tent meetings, I remember that they would, um, 
Uh, I'm going to adjust the seat here, seating here. Thank you. When they had the old tent meetings, they would put up a sign and say revival. And then so you go to the tent meetings to see revival. And what I found out from going to the said me tent meetings, um, they were just church services is all it really was. Church services outside under a tent. That's about all it was. And I'm not saying that's bad. I wish more churches would continue. I wish we'd go back to the tent meetings and the sawdust trail and, 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 and sort of get outside of the four walls of the building and get out into those tents and preach the gospel and people are going by the highways and byways and that's a, it's a good tool for evangelism. But there were more evangelistic outreaches or that is what I would say, but they weren't revival per se. Because there are certain things, certain church issues that you don't want to, you know, when you're preaching, if you're smart, there's certain church, certain messages that are for the inside that, that are designed for the people, for the church. Well, I don't want to put the church's mess out on Front Street. So you got to preach a very generic message and, and keep it focused on those who don't know Christ on the outside. Because that's, that's the real purpose of your being outside. There's no reason to go give an inside message outside. We could have just went inside the building for that. Or sometimes they would have revival at the church, not necessarily a tent, right? So everybody can't afford a tent, and they're expensive. And then you got to have people guarding the tent at night because you got all kinds of strange people wandering around to steal your stuff. So it can it can run up a pretty penny. So sometimes they would have it in the church. If you just had, if you had a church building already, so we're going to have a week of revival here at the church, and basically that was for the saints, for the inside people. To revive them, to get them, you know, excited about Christ again. And they would do it from time to time. And then some places have, they don't call it revival, they call it a, a, a winter winter conference, a spring conference from time to time. And I, I think that they're useful, but I wouldn't call them revival. That's my only thing. I'm not saying don't have those things. You know, you want to motivate your people. You want to, you know, uh, some churches, they try to keep their folks saved and keep them from wandering back. And that's one of the reasons why they do that. You know, you can argue whether or not they should be doing it because since the keeper is the Holy Spirit, and, you know, uh, et cetera, and they left you because they weren't part of you in the first place. That's not what this podcast today is about. It's just simply about what is revival and what used to be called revival, but really is not a revival. And regardless of their motivations as to why they did it, sometimes just a, a far way to hold on to people, give people something to do. And they thought they were helping them from, you know, uh, getting into the devil's work and keeping their mind focused on Christ. And uh, frankly, that's not criminal. I, 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 that's fine by me. Um, the other thing that happens is, um, but that's not revival. That's what I'm trying to say here. That's not a revival. That has nothing to do with revival. Those are just tent meetings. Those are just, uh, you call it tent meeting crusades. Um, conferences, you know, uh, a week of, uh, of services, um, whatever you want to call it. But it's not revival in the sense in which I'm thinking of revival. Then you got the old school revivalists who, who talk about outpourings of the Holy Spirit in, in various times of human history, of church history and human history, which is human history. Um, 
you know, I read about, you know, the Hearn Hut with the Moravians, how they had a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. Allegedly, it wasn't there, but I'm taking it at face value from the historians, church historians. <clears throat> they had a 100-year prayer meeting, and the Moravians did, in Germany. And that means for 100 years, that somebody, that prayer meeting had continued on. There was always somebody in that room praying uh without without and it was an unbroken chain of prayer in that room uh for a hundred years. And out of that we know came a lot of the the great the missionary now hear what I'm saying. Listen to the results of that now. Out of that came the great missionary sending the Moravians who sold themselves into slavery. Because the it was an island, which was my home island by the way of Saint Thomas, and the, the, the slave owner there said, Hey in the Virgin Islands, he said, Listen, you know these slaves aren't people, so they don't have souls, so I'm not going to bring the gospel to them. Well, these Moravian missionaries heard about it, and they didn't agree. They, they knew that, that black people and everybody has souls and need to, to know Christ. So what do they do? These two white Moravian missionaries sold themselves into slavery so they can bring the gospel to the slaves. They themselves became slaves. And spent their own entire lifetime as slaves, um, just to bring the gospel to the to there. And then through, and, and as a result of their work, throughout the Caribbean now, you have a lot of Moravian churches. And they were the ones that helped to uh, to plant that. Result of the hundred years prayer, prayer meeting, and, and, and pay attention. I'm, I'm trying to show you some results here. Then you have. Um, we already know about the, some of the Wesleyan revivals. There are some things that were questionable about that. Um, in terms of um, some of the manifestations that happened, there were some weird things that kind of took place there as well. But Wesley was a lot more doctrinally sound than, pardon me, yeah, I'm going to say it, than the clowns. Because sound rounds with, rise with clowns, so I'm going to run them together. Than what you have going on today. But then you did have the Wesleyan revivals. That was attributed to, and, and the result of that was, in Britain did not have a revolution, say a bloody revolution like the French had. Um, that's where Britain was headed, but because of the Wesleyan revivals and Whitfield. And by the way, these were not perfect men. I believe Whitfield was a slave owner, uh, if I remember correctly. I don't know if Wesley was or not. Um, so these are not perfect people, so please don't email me and tell me, oh, but they did this and they did that. I'm not talking about their perfection. I'm just talking about what God has done. God uses imperfect people who don't have it all together, who aren't 100% correct. He does it all the time. If God waited for every for human beings to get everything right and everything correct, he'd probably do nothing. Uh, but God, in his sovereignty, uses whom he will when he when he wants to. And I'm not going to question him. That's divine prerogative. God can do whatever he wants. And so you go through history and you see these various revivals coming up through history. Although by the time you, the first great awakening was fine in America, under the... Um, under the Cotton Mothers and, and Jonathan Edwards, yes, also slave owners, yes. Uh, this, this is a podcast about the truth. I ain't going to lie to you about nothing. But nonetheless, 
Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, still remains one of the great literary sermons of, his, of our time, of its time, and, and, and probably um, still stands as, as a great and a powerful message. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I, now, there's two ways you can read that. If you're not saved, you're going to think, oh my God, these people, you know. But if you're saved and you understand what the scriptures teach, it was a, it was a powerful message. So it depends on what side of the fence you, you tend to be sitting on. But I think it was spot on. Again, those were some of the revivals. And, and what I want you to see is that when God brought revival through the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, we'll talk about, we'll deal with Finney another day. And I can talk about Finney because I used to promote him. And I've, since then I've learned some things. Um, that's not to say everything he did was bad, but yeah, there's some, there's some things we got to talk about when, when we get to Finney. But I think I'm going to do it in this podcast. It would take too much time. Um, so then you had the first great awakening, then you had the Jesus movements, etc. The first revival, if you want to call it that, I wouldn't necessarily call it a revival, but okay, let's, 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 let's talk about what that first revival looked like. On the day of Acts, when the Holy Spirit, when they were in one place and in one accord, and the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles, and they spake with other tongues, and Peter stood up to preach, and he, and he preached about salvation. And then the people said, what must we do? And then Peter told them what they had to do. That's my definition of a perfect revival. And then was it like 5,000, 3,000 souls got saved that day? That's my idea of revival. That's what I'm talking about. Revival changes, somebody said revival changes the moral climate of the community. It can do that. It can, it can extend into the community. And I've heard some fantastical things about revivals. I don't, you know, now I'm questioning a lot of things as I've grown and matured. But uh, be that as it may, genuine revival, I believe, will, if it doesn't change the moral climate of the, of the world, of, of the community around it, it should impact it to some degree, I, I suppose. But definitely, it must change the moral climate in the church. The church has to get better and stronger. There's a good book out, um, Calvary Road, by Roy Hessian. Uh, they said it was written during the East African revivals. And from time to time, God does send a refreshing from heaven. But it's not a refreshing like what these guys are doing now. And and, and a list of... Uh, 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 Childs in her uh, podcast on YouTube, she made a very good point that there were going to be, be people coming in who would try to co-opt that revival. Because now you know, you got the counterfeit fake revivalists out here now. You've got people who are the Holy Ghost bartender. You've got people who are supposed to be being drunk in the spirit who are just shaking and convulsing violently. You have people who are uh, look more like the Kundalini cult in India than, than actual biblical Christianity. Um, then you have uh, people who are um, allegedly laughing in the spirit. None of those things have anything to do with real biblical revival. And so what's, what, what the fear is, when I, what I saw, I wasn't there, Alyssa Childs was there, but I, I went online and they were, they were broadcasting it. 
And what I saw looked like just like a prayer. All it was was a prayer meeting. Maybe there had been some singing and some prayer. I've been in meetings like that in my lifetime where God brings a refreshing and you hear a sermon and after the sermon, some people, some of us would stay at the altar and we'd pray and see the face of God and we'd continue to worship him uh, because we felt that we, because the presence of God was there in, in that aspect, we got convicted or whatever. Um, and yes, I believe you can feel the presence of God. I know some people don't agree with that, but I believe you can. Um, but again, having said that, I don't live off of feelings, whether I feel with the presence of God or not. I continue, I'm walking with God. It has nothing to do with my emotions or feelings. But sometimes you do, and you just feel to stay there. Whether you can say you were convicted by the message, or or you want just decide, I want to draw closer to God, or whatever. And people just stay there, and, 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 they, and they intercede, and they pray. That's what I saw happening at Asbury. But now some of the counterfeit revival people are coming in, trying to... Uh, I guess trying to see what's going on. And then I, not all, I can't say what their motivations are. But I'm almost certain some of them are going to try to interject their version of what a revival should look like into that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. Amen. That's in Acts, the 20th chapter. That revival verse I read earlier was, on, was Psalms 85, 4. In case you're wondering. And then this one is Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 28. So Paul gives a warning that after he departs, grievous wolves will enter in, speaking perverse things and trying to draw people after, after themselves to get whatever they're doing. So when you see a work of God like this, assuming that it's genuine, and I have no reason at this point to believe that it is not, but then again, I can't prove that it is. And I think um, this is a wait and see thing. We have to really, that's another thing we revive. We have to kind of wait and see, especially when it's like this, and see what the results of it are. That's why I talked a little, little bit about some of the results. And I'll, I'll do that a little bit more too. But look, we have to... Um, be careful because throughout, and this is throughout church history, this is not just a new phenomenon. Every time God does a work, the devil tries to tag along counterfeit. Remember I said last podcast that tear, the, God plants wheat, the devil comes and he plants tares. And sometimes you can't always tell them apart. Um, 
And so it looks like the same thing because they're using the same jargon, same lingo as, as everyone else. But in reality, it's not wheat, it's tares. Uh, I believe the president of Asbury Theological did make a statement and he is doing what a shepherd should do is protect his flock from some of the crazy. Uh, you can come in and look, but you know, don't try to disrupt or try to interject what you want in it. So there are some of those people who are going there because they want to mess it all up and bring in their false version of holy laughter, um, shaking violently like a Kundalini cult or just simply, um, you know, bringing in, bringing in more of the nonsense, so-called prophetic words, etc., etc. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very respectful that he, he, you know, he's there trying to protect what they do have going on and not bring in a lot of the crazy with it. Uh, but again, in time, we'll get to see whether this is a, uh, a revival as people say that it is. I mean, and then you got the other crowd. Um, and so they come in and if they don't, if they can't control or interject it, then they start pulling other people out, encouraging, you know, yeah, we know we got revival over here. And then you got the other crowd that, that they're coming because people heard, oh, look, there's a revival outbreak at Asbury. So people getting in their cars, driving for miles. Why? Because they want to get some of that too. They're hoping to get there, get whatever it is that's going on in that church or that seminary, wherever it is. And then hopefully to bring that home, bring that back home with themselves and bring it back home to their home church. Uh, this is no different than people who, you might as well go to, to a dead preacher's grave and try to get the anointing off of his bones by just laying there on top of the grave and, and allegedly sucking all the power and anointing out of his bones. And they get that from a, a scripture in the Bible when people tossed some dead bodies on top of Elisha or Elisha, whichever one it was. I guess the anointing was still in his bones and his people were resurrected and came back to life, trying to demonstrate how powerful of a prophet Elisha was. Ironically, his bones can bring other people back to life, but it didn't bring him back to life, right? So it didn't do him any good. But look, saints, that's not a biblical pattern. That's just a narrative. God is, it's not prescriptive. It's not, God's not telling you this is what you do to get the anointing. All he's simply saying, this is what happened. The odds of that happening for anybody who, who coming down through church history, and that's probably why God buried Moses' body, because the probably would have been trying to do all kinds of crazy stuff with that. And God didn't tell him where he put him. But you got to understand... Actually, it would be Elisha, because Elijah went up in a whirlwind, so it would be the bones of Elisha. But having said that, that's not something that you practice. You don't run to people's graves and find John G. Lake, or you find, you know, Catherine Coleman, or whoever you think had power. And some of that is questionable, which we'll touch on at another time. And you lay on that person's grave, and somehow, you know, you'll get Billy Graham's anointing, you'll get... Uh, Catherine Coleman's anointing, you'll get John Wesley's anointing and going to Westminster Abbey. Oh, let me go to John. That's insane. That's like saying, I'm going to go stand on Winston Churchill's uh, grave, suck up all his political knowledge, etc. And then I'm going to run for, run for political office because I've got his anointing for politics. That, that, that's insane. 
That's insane. Each man has to live his life according to the gifts that God has given him. I don't copy anybody. I'm certain nobody's copying me. Uh, and if you are, you're cray-cray. Uh, listen, saints. Just be yourself. Do you. And work with the gifts that God has given you. Play the hand you dealt. Whatever God hand God dealt you, you, that's what you play with. That's what you work with. And that's all I'm doing. That's all anybody else can do. But there will be no special anointing from standing around people's graves. So, what's that got to do with the revival? It's the same thing. Instead of running to graves to get the anointing, they're running down here to the chapel in Asbury because some people believe they'll get the anointing. And they'll get whatever is going on there and they'll see what it is and they'll learn from it and they'll come back and read and duplicate it there. I think it was Oral Roberts University. They had a revival when Keith Green went there, I think it was. It was a bit of a revival. So let me let me let me let me help you out with that. Number one. Number one. This is what I've learned. Number one is that. Revival is not something that you can create. I know Finney taught that, but I disagree with him. I, at one time I thought he was right, but now I realize I don't agree with that anymore. Because I'm learning, I, learned, I had to learn some things about the sovereignty of God. So number one, revival is not a human work. You cannot work it up. You cannot put it on the calendar. You cannot plan for a revival. And say, to this day, we're going to have a revival here. It's not created by how long you fast and you pray. You can, you can, I've done the 21 day fast thing. I've never done the 40, but I've done 21. No revival, gentlemen, ladies. No revival. God does not come at our beck and call. Jesus told the apostles, tarry in Jerusalem until I pour, until the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father comes. So they had to tarry. I'm not saying that you have to have tarrying means, but my point was, why did you tell them to tarry? Because they were not the determining factor. Now, yes, they were in one place and on one accord. That, that certainly helps. But trust me, it was God's determination that on this particular day, the 50th day, the Feast of Pentecost, that's what I'm pouring out my Holy Spirit. 50 days later. That's when God decided to, to go to work. I don't know if it was because they're on one accord. People just imply that. I'm sure it's helpful to be on one accord, but maybe, I don't know if they were, if that, would, if that was the, 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 the factor that made the Holy Spirit fall. I think the Holy Spirit came because God just sovereignly sent it. And one place in one accord, being on one accord was, was a bonus. You say, well, how did they get there in one place? Well, God sovereignly, again, God sovereignly could have directed everybody there. Could have put them there at that one particular time, having the prayer meeting. And the Holy Spirit falls. Perfect pinpoint timing. My point is, it happens when God wants. And then a lot of people got saved. But check this out. Then it said, after that so-called, or mini revival, if you want to call it that, where well, 3,000 or 5,000, I don't remember the exact number, got saved. What happened after that? It says explicitly, and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. 
there was no technique. There was no church growth movement. There was no church growth model. Nothing was being whipped up. Nobody was being preached. If you don't live right, we can't have revival. If you don't do this, we can't have revival. If you don't do that, we can't have revival. If you wait for the church to get 100% correct to have revival, you're wasting your time. Ain't gonna happen. In fact, in order for the church to get right, the revival has to, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. The revival has to come to the church. It's not get yourself right, then the revival comes. It's God gives revival, and then we get right. Because God, the Holy Spirit, moves in and convicts people of sin. And if you're saved, you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and, you, and you're good to go. And you get stronger and strengthened in your faith. And then you are revived. That's not for everybody else. That's you. That's that local, that local assembly, that local body. Now you revive something that's near death. So if you say we need revival, that means we're near death. We're just about dead. So like the Valley of Dry Bones, can these, can these bones live? Well, that's when, when the, Ezekiel prophesies to the four winds. which is the Holy Spirit, comes into the bones and re revives them. That's the nation of Israel. Well, not much different with us. If you're near death spiritually and you're just dry in a very dry place and you're just not walking with God in the way you want to, you're not, you're not there in, in that relationship that you feel you should be, and God revives, God's the Holy Spirit refreshes and revives us, and gives us a new motivation, a new invigoration to study the word or whatever. And that's an act of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing upon us. Reviving us, bringing us back from near death and dryness in a barren and dry place. And he's reviving us and refreshing us. Um, I think in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, Peter uh, was preaching. He says, you know, repent. And he talked about times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And uh, sort of like a, uh, like you're being revived, so or a refreshing that comes from the Lord. So yes, uh, that's very important in the Christian life. I think God does send seasons of refreshing. There shall be showers of blessings, you know, and uh, sent from the Father above. There shall be seasons of refreshing, showers of blessing, showers of blessing. We need mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. I think in Hosea, he says, break up your fallow ground and sow to yourselves in righteousness. And then he talks about how, you know, but you got to break up that ground so that God, and you sow in righteousness and then God can, can send the latter rain upon you, can send the rain upon you to revive you and to grow you. Um, now he said, well, I thought you said we weren't supposed to do anything. Well, I, it does say break up your fallow ground. And, but, the person you you find you don't have the strength to break up your hard heart of the hard areas of your life and so the the tool that you need to break that up is the holy spirit so the holy spirit is from start to finish jesus said i am the first and the last i'm the beginning and the end he's the author and the finisher of our faith so he's the beginning he's the middle and he's the end and so christ lord i need to break up my fallow ground the holy spirit helps you to do that does that for you. And after you break up your fallow ground, you sow yourselves in righteousness. Well, where's my source of righteousness? It ain't in me. My source of righteousness, righteousness is Christ. I depend upon him. Then the rain, the move of the Holy Spirit comes and we start to grow and we start to refresh.
in our walk with God. But you need the Holy Spirit. This name, is this a sword and the spirit? Yeah, sword and the spirit. So you need the preach word and you need the work of the Holy Spirit to bring that refreshing in your life. That's what happened in the East African revivals in Calvary Road. But there are people who will try to come in and they'll try to co-opt it and they think that somehow by them being there that, that that's that's going to bring revival. So let me tell you how to how to uh, I'm going to tell you how to get revival. Okay? First, there's nothing you can do in terms of work it up. It's not something that you work up and if I pray enough or whatever. That's number 1. The the way to get revival is that you have to totally depend on the Holy Spirit. And you just live a life of obedience to God the best way you know how. Because it's going to happen when God wants it to happen. You're not going to work it up. You can't call it down. It's not happening. So what are you saying, Brother Reimer? What I'm saying is that running out to Asbury is not going to give you revival and then you run out the door and bring it back to your, your, lo your loved ones or your home or, or to your church. That ain't going to happen. What's happening at Asbury, assuming that it is revival, is for that particular part of the vineyard. God's working on them to do whatever it is he wants to do there. You cannot assume that God's going to let you, that you're going to run in there and now he's going to transplant that everywhere else. God is sovereign. God makes his decisions. And most of these revivals that we call them are localized. They're not global. Now, I would love to see a global revival. That would be beautiful. I'd like to see a national revival. That would be awesome. That would be absolutely awesome. And I'm not going to say it can't happen because God is sovereign. I'm just simply saying what's happening in Kentucky is for the, the, that particular point in time. And running there is not going to drag it out. If God, if God cho sovereignly chooses to send a national revival, I will not have to go from L.A. I'm not going to have to go fly from here to Azusa Street to go get it. It's going to happen right here where I live. And so you say, well, they're having a prayer meeting. Well, you know, you can have a prayer meeting in your church. There's no law that says you can't have a prayer meeting and run a 24-7 prayer meeting in your church. You can do that if that's what you want to do. Nobody's stopping you. But our problem is, I, but I know what we're looking for. We're looking for a sign, something miraculous where God will speak to me and I'll, get, I'll catch fire for Jesus and that kind of stuff. It, it, Christian life don't work like that. It just doesn't work that way. And so your running down to Asbury is not going to now give you uh, a revival. Whatever they're, and by the way, and this is, my, this is my other part of that same point, whatever they're doing there, you can do it there. The same Holy Ghost that's in Asbury, Kentucky, it's the same Holy Ghost that's in New York City, it's the same Holy Ghost that's in Los Angeles, it's the same Holy Ghost that's in, that's in New Delhi. Since God is omnipresent, he's everywhere, I don't have to go anywhere to get anything. Isn't that what the Bible says? You don't have to say who's going to go up in heaven to bring it down, who's going to descend to the lower parts of the earth. But the word is near thee, even in thy mouth. You can go on your knees and start praying in your own home and seeking the face of God, just like they're doing there in Asbury. Because what I saw in the video, that's all they're doing. I don't see anything else unique going on there. But what, when you say revival, different ideas pop up in people's head. They're getting power. And it's usually about power. Oh my God, they're getting power. God's giving them power. 
And they're going to preach with power, signs and wonders and miracles. That's what most of y'all are thinking. But if you look at the video, they're just in there praying. I don't see no signs and no wonders and no miraculous things happening. And that does not now mean it's not a revival. Because a genuine revival is more about God renewing the personal relationship with him in terms of drawing that person closer, getting a, a stronger sense of God's presence, deepening their love for God, and their walk with him. And their walk is, is stronger now today than it was yesterday. It's like God just takes your walk, let's say your walk with it too, and God just dials it to 10. That's revival. But that's it. It has nothing to do with signs and wonders and miraculous feats taking place. And it definitely has nothing to do with people falling down on the ground, shaking and convulsing violently, screaming as though they're in pain, and then tell me that it's joy. I'm like, no, they sound like they're in pain to me. And then Holy Ghost laughter, seeing gold teeth filled, seeing te teeth filled with gold, seeing gold dust falling from the sky, seeing angels appearing in the stage, seeing pools in front of the church. This is a pool to jump in and all that kind of foolishness. Seeing a lot of the fake resurrections. None of that has anything to do with biblical revival. The biblical revival, even with Israel, when you go to, go to Nehemiah, they went and they got the word before anything could happen, before the nation could be restored. They got the law. They went back to the book and they read out of the book and they explained things in the book. And the people got themselves together spiritually. And then they began to work and to build the wall and to rebuild Jerusalem. And the return of the people came. But it began in the word of God. No miraculous signs. No dynamic, all the other stuff going on. That's counterfeit revival. The one I just described in terms of, you know, all that Holy Ghost laughter and gold teeth and, and gold dust falling from the sky. How does that help me if, if I'm in a room and gold dust is falling from the sky? First of all, if it's real gold, I'm trying to gather. I, I ain't even thinking about Jesus now. I'm trying to gather that stuff up because I want to get rich. I'm going to start sweeping it up and get as much of it as I can and, 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 and you know, cash in on it. So it'll feed my greed. It'll feed my flesh. But it won't make me stronger in God. That's my point. If God can give me gold filling in my teeth, why don't he just give me brand new teeth altogether? Never mind the gold. I don't need that. Give me a mouthful of teeth. Healthy teeth. Yeah, how about that? Okay. But that doesn't happen. And these guys, and I, and, and I specifically let the scripture run where Paul says, I, I coveted no man's silver or gold or his apparel. Paul says, I didn't want any of your money. I didn't want any of your, of, your, of your clothes. And I worked for what I got. What I do have is because I worked for it. I didn't take anything from anyone. Not these guys. If you got a, a title of bishop or apostle now, you know, you can't invite a bishop to your church or an apostle to your church. Uh, at last report I've heard, you know, for less than $3,000, $5,000, it's probably more than that now. That's just to get them to come there. And you're not talking about paying for their entourage and everybody else has got to come along with them. Four church can't only get, you know, got 50 people and you're, you're draining the church. So a bunch of churches get together to bring you in and they got to spend a fortune. And then the disappointment is after they brought you in, 
They've given you nothing except false hope and lies. Fake miracles. Making things up out of whole cloth. You spent all that money and you might as well have went to, to, to you might as well have taken that money and get your family to Disney World and just have yourself a good time with you and your family and enjoy yourselves and your children. Instead of wasting money bringing these guys in to tell you nothing. It costs, it costs you everything, but it ain't cost them nothing. This morning, my pastor preached a magnificent sermon on Jonah. And it fits so appropriately into what I'm about to say now. Jonah, this we call him the reluctant prophet. We all know the story. He was sent to Nineveh, but he was a bigot. Didn't like the people of Nineveh, and he 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 surmised if I preach there and these people repent, God won't kill them. But if I run away, maybe you know for a couple of days, maybe God God will have to just go ahead and kill them. Well, that's probably what he might have been going through his mind. The Bible doesn't say that's what was going through his mind, but it just said he didn't want to go preach in Nineveh, and 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 towards the end we found out why because he didn't like them. Well, having said that, Jonah goes to, God finally gets him to Nineveh. He preaches, and as he expected, the people repented, and they got saved. And so later on, Jonah's sitting under a tree, and, you know, he's mad because God killed him. And then he, he tells God, you know what? I knew you were going to, I knew you weren't going to kill, I knew this was going to happen. I knew if I preached and they repented, you were going to have mercy. That's what he was mad about. Jonah is the person who is one preacher. He's done what every preacher has ever dreamed of. Can you imagine preaching a sermon to an entire town and city and everybody gets saved? Or the mayor or the president or the the, the dictator said you know sends out a, a message to everybody but all the whole nation is going to go down and fast and repent can you imagine what that would be like that's every preacher's dream i wish to god i could preach like that <laughs> here this guy preaches a sermon does something every preacher wished they could do and he's mad because people who got saved didn't we didn't want them to get saved and i didn't want god to spare the nation i wanted god to destroy it and he even told God, I, I knew you were, were going to do this. I knew this was going to happen. I just knew it. And God says, yep, that's right. That's why I sent you. If you want to know, know what a revival looks like that impacts the, the, the moral climate of a community not, and gets outside of the church walls, read the book of Jonah. He preached, and the people responded to the preaching and the entire nation repented, or, or city nation, wherever it was. Everybody got saved. From the king on down. Repented. And asked God for mercy. That's a revival. Now, let me tell you what did not happen. There was no gold dust. There was no filling of teeth. There was nobody convulsing, shaking violently. There wasn't anybody falling down on the floor. There wasn't anybody who was... Um, there was no, there was, other than the prophecy that Jonah gave, there was no prophecy. And the prophecy wasn't, you know, um, 
in many days went hence and in many ways God's gonna God's gonna do this for you, God's gonna do that for you, God's gonna fix your life up and make you better. He said, Look, you people are 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 in sin. You need to repent of said sin, or God's gonna come and get you. It was just that simple. That was a prophecy. You don't get prophecy, you know, the prophecy they don't do that kind of stuff. And when they do, it's a form of, they do it to manipulate you so they can get money out of your pocket. Jonah didn't get any paid for this. He just simply said, repent or be destroyed. That's it. And then he went on about his business. And then the king responded to it. That is what a revival looks like. The response of the people. Genuine biblical revival. General, a, general, a, 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 a genuine work of the Holy Spirit is to bring men to repentance and faith in Christ. To bring them from death to life. People, the harvest is not money. The abundant life is not about wealth and riches. It's about receiving Christ. Christ himself, he, Christ himself, is the abundant life. Christ himself is what you want. He is the treasure. He is the one that we, that we get. The only thing we contribute to the relationship is our sin. That's, about our, that's, that's our contribution. But everything else is in Christ. It comes from him and to him and for him and about him. Christ and Christ alone. He stands by himself. That's genuine revival. That we would see Jesus. That we would turn our gaze upon Christ in the scriptures. Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty. So what I want to do is we're going to talk about revival, a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. Wherever God is at work, the Holy Spirit will focus you on Christ. Not on money, not on gold teeth, not on ex having an experience. There'll be no angels showing up. There'll be no pool that you have to jump on the floor and pretend there's a pool. There'll be no fake resurrections. None of that's going to be taking place. What's going to happen is that you will see Christ. The year King Uzziah died, that's when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. It's to see the Lord in his holiness, in his majesty, in his glory. Like the song says, fall on your knees and worship God. What do I see happening in that, in that, in that uh, meeting? I see people in there, either they're praying or they're worshiping God. That's it, people. Oh, wait, I can do that in my own house, in my bedroom. Stop driving all the way down to these places and running all over the country seeking some experience with God. You have exactly the same access right there in your bedroom that you have in the church or anywhere else on the planet. If you're saved. Now, if you're not saved, then you need to get saved. But we all have exactly the same access. I don't have to go anywhere to get it. Back in the, in the ancient times, they would build these ziggurats because they wanted gateways to heaven. And then Jacob, you know, fell asleep where he is at. He saw the ladder be coming down from heaven. The angels ascending and descending on, on, on the earth. And by the way, nobody's climbing Jacob's ladder. We don't climb Jacob's ladder. We don't go every rung higher and higher. 
there's not that's not in the story. It just said the angels of God were ascending and descending. And then uh Jacob said this this is the gateway to heaven, the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. Well, who's the ladder? Christ is that ladder. And the angels are ascending and descending. Christ is that ladder. He's the gateway to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that comes to me. If you want to come to God, you have to come through him. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the one that gives you access into the kingdom. He's that ladder down from heaven. But here's the beautiful thing. Because Christ is the gateway, I don't have to go out to Jerusalem to find somewhere where Jacob fell asleep and saw the ladder come down from heaven. Christ is that ladder. Oh wait, Christ is right here with me now. I have access to him via the Holy Spirit. We have access to Christ. Everybody does now. If you're born again, if you're saved of God. If you're not saved of God, you can access him today by repenting of your sins and giving your heart to Christ. Now you have access to God. And no one has more access to God than anybody else. You shall seek me and you shall find me if you search for me with all your heart. There it is. There's your formula for revival. You say, you're, I know some of you say, well, we have to do something. All right, there it is. There's something you got to do. You shall seek me and you shall find me, but you search with all your heart. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. When shall I appear before God? <laughs> I like the way Bob Marley put it. How many rivers must we cross before we can talk to the boss? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. All God's promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. What do you think Ephesians was talking about? When Paul started talking about Ephesians, that the eyes of your understanding may be open so you can see what is the hope of your calling. If the eyes of your understanding are open, you realize I have access to Jesus in my bedroom. And it's not going to be weird. It's not going to be creepy. You won't be under, in a room convulsing on the floor like you're having seizures. You won't be shaking violently. But the Holy Spirit will illuminate the Word of God to you as you're reading and as you're praying. And the scriptures, the Bible says, and he opened up the scriptures to them. And they began to see Christ. That's genuine revival. That's what we should be pursuing. Not driving in a car all the way down to see what's going on. I'm glad, what the, what, and I'm praying to God that that's a genuine work of God down there in Asbury. We need some people coming out of, out of our seminaries that are, you know, on fire for God. That's beautiful. I get it. And I hope it's a genuine article. Time will tell. But no matter how you want to cut it, that's a local thing. That's for them. God is doing that for them. And I'm glad. Now, can God take some out of there, some things out of there and spread it? Yes, he can. But I don't have to go down there to go get it. If God wants to spread it, he'll spread it. And generally, it'll be from people, someone who was there and then they came out and maybe started a church and just started to do a work or whatever and that carried on from there. Uh, but it's not about people driving down there to see what's going on, to getting on the latest whatever. The Bible says, A wicked and a perverse generation seeketh after a sign. Stop seeing, seeking signs. 
start running down to see some miraculous. Because by the way, you start looking for those types of miracles and signs, the devil will be more than happy to put on a show for you. And he'll give you a show. But it won't be from God. The Bible talks about the devil having signs and lying wonders. Wonders that are designed to deceive you. You want a wonder? He'll give you one. And it'll lead you down the wrong path, away from Christ. Revive us again. Fill each heart with, with your love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. That's my prayer. I so want to see the day of God's power. and It would be beautiful to see it in the church. And I said power, and that's power to bring people, men and women, to repentance and faith. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he, will, he won't talk about himself. He will talk about me. The dove, the Holy Spirit, has come to focus on the Lamb, Christ. Wherever the work of the Holy Spirit is active, you want to know where, you want to know how the church has an active work of the Holy Spirit or not? The focus will be on Christ. The Holy Spirit will not focus on himself. That's what the Bible says. And it's not because it's a competition or whatever. It's, that's just his work. And the Holy Spirit does his work. And he, bring, he comes to reveal Christ to us. Through the scriptures, not through some mystical thing, not some, you know, uh, X-Files thing. But as you, oh, but he'll get you into the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, he will illuminate it and you'll begin to see Christ. In every page, every nook and cranny of the Bible. And as you gaze upon his majesty through the holy scriptures, you begin to worship him. And deepen your, your, your worship and your appreciation for the things of God. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what genuine revival is. And so, yes, I want God to revive us again. I really do. In my own life, I've had, quote-unquote, for lack of a better term, personal revivals. Bedtime time laying my face before God, and God has... Has renewed my strength and my energy. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He says, even the young men shall faint and grow weary. The 40th chapter of Isaiah. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, if the strength is being renewed, it means that you lost something somewhere. People, You do get tired sometimes. It gets a little weary. It's a little lonely. I get tired of being, you know, somebody get that Elijah complex. I alone am left. Nobody else seems to want to preach the gospel. You know, there are very few churches now that you can go into, sad to say. It seems to me that you can get a good, solid gospel uh, taught or preached to you. Now, they, they are out there. They're out there. But they're, you know, you got to go through a, a, a gauntlet of bad churches before you finally get to a really good one that's Bible-based, Bible really Bible-based, and not into the dog and pony show complete with dancing bear we have going on out here now. And circus, gold teeth and gold dust falling from the sky, angels popping up every five minutes. People getting trips to heaven and and and, and tours of hell. Like you heard me say before, if you find yourself on a tour in hell, you you know you wake up one day and you, you're dreaming and and you you you're walking around and you're getting a tour of hell. I I, I promise you, you're not leaving. 
you get in hell, you're not coming out. There'll be no tour, and then you come back out to come tell us what happened. That's not going to happen. You're there. Just settle in, because you're there. It's just, you, you're not coming back out. And people tell you that they've had these tours, they're lying. A lot of that is just Dante's Inferno. It's not even biblical. And maybe one day we'll do a biblical perspective on hell, because a lot of what is taught about hell is false. And you will get to see that a little later on. It's just more Dante's Inferno nonsense. So, thank you for listening to this episode of The Sword and Spirit. God bless you. If you want to connect with me or talk to me, it's rhyd12001 at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, or whatever, feel free. And God bless you. And thanks for listening. again thank you for listening to this edition of the sword and the spirit and my prayer is that i've said something that <clears throat> will stir you up and make you want to go into the word of god read it spend more time with before the lord and strengthen your walk and your relationship with him so god bless you and thank you and uh, i'm very appreciative for those of you who have donated financially to support uh, this type of outreach and if you have, God bless you. And if you haven't, God bless you as well. Just the fact that you're listening. And my prayer is that God will continue to help you to grow and to mature in Him. And this podcast will be a blessing to you. And that you will continue to grow and come to real maturation in the things of God. And that's my only uh, desire is to see people grow and mature in God. And become the kind of people that God has called us to be. So just keep me in prayer. Like I said, I have many irons in the fire. Trying to uh, do some blogging as well. And eventually on YouTube. So uh, just keep me in prayer. I'm trying to do it at God's timing. I know I can just jump on there now. But I'm trying to time it with how the Lord wants me to do it. And maybe adding some other things to the show. And we also will be doing some interviews. Um, you know, and... On some different issues as well. So keep me in prayer. And I'll keep you in prayer as well. That God will help us to reach out to those who are wheat. And to help the wheat grow strong. God bless you and thank you.